Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch, fastball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Welcome, everybody, to Fantasy Baseball today. Happy Monday, April 13th. Frank here, joined by Adam, Chris, and Scott. With our powers combined, we are Team Facts. It wouldn't be Monday if we didn't start things off with an Azer hot take. And I saw this on Twitter oh, earlier gosh. this morning, Adam. What did I do he now? Did it like The Doors, The Who, Pink Floyd, Rolling Stones, and Led Zeppelin. Correct. So, <laughs> The Doors are mediocre at best. I'm with you on that. Uh, Jim Morrison was a, was a drunken buffoon, uh, to quote uh, what's-his-name from that movie. Almost famous, Lester Banks. Not liking The Who, not liking The Rolling Stones. Like, what is wrong with you? Well, I don't think the Who... I, like, the two that I feel like you should push back on are the Stones and Led Zeppelin. The Who are... I like the Who more than Led Zeppelin. That's my hot take. I, yeah, well, first of all, I, I, I don't like Led Zeppelin for the same reason I don't like Guns N' Roses and the same reason I don't like Smashing Pumpkins. The shrieky voice is just not for me. Which is, I know, ironic for me to say. You like a, Aerosmith. He's not, has a, he doesn't have a... a yes, he does. No, not yes, like does, that. Adam. No, not like <laughs> that. Okay, that's like Come a vocal on. effect that he does. Come that's on. not his constant voice. Was that Dream On? Yeah, it was Dream On. Yeah, it okay. was beautiful. Uh, I don't like those bands. Yeah, I don't know. I just They're not for me. And uh, did I, did I, I mentioned Pink Floyd in there, right? Yeah. They're, yes. Yeah, they're uh, the yeah Pink Floyd's overrated. They suck. Yeah, so. uh, they're fine. <laughs> So I knew that that would certainly ruffle some feathers. I knew that Chris would jump in sooner than expected. Uh, But I actually don't have a problem with the takes because music is subjective. Um, I will say, with with that being said, Adam, if you don't like Metallica, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. I don't care either way. I mean, I think they're about as good as it can get for a metal band. But, you know, I I like Metallica. They have one of the five best songs of the 90s. And enter Sandman. I, I okay. I yeah. I had no idea because your your music takes are so bad <laughs> that it could have been anything. <laughs> uh, I realized I didn't know much about the music interests of Scott. I knew when it comes to Chris. I mean, Chris, I can just let you take over the podcast, and for the next month, you can just turn it into a music podcast. I did. I I reorganized my records this weekend and listened to a bunch of old ones. So I've got some some real good takes. And we actually found out on Friday when we did our live stream on Facebook that. Uh, the bookshelf behind Chris is color coded, and whether or not that's, I don't know, something a psychopath would do. <laughs> that is what numerous people on Twitter have said. Uh, look, it's not insulting me. You're attacking my wife. If you no, 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 so no. That's Ooh. that's. I would never. That's, do uh, you know, do with that what you will. It was. I think it looks cool. I think it looks cool. Uh, only, Scott, what are yeah. your musical interests? I realize I have no idea. What type of music Scott is turning on if he is firing up the old record player? Ah, yes. I tend to sit out the music discussions because I have no musical (laughs) opinions, at least not to the extent that everyone else does. These conversations tend to get very heated, and I don't really understand it, so I just prefer to sit them out. And, you know, music is not... I'm not, look, I I like a good tune just like anybody else, but I'm not somebody who just 
fires up music to just listen while I'm doing day-to-day tasks. I'm more likely to listen to a podcast or something or even have like the TV on in the background than listen to music. I'm just not a big music listener. I don't know. You know, my friend made a, a playlist for the quarantine. It's like three hours long and it's on Spotify. And it's basically, if you want to know what kind of music I like, it's basically this playlist. And I wonder, like, can I can I share that with people? Mudvayne, Nickelback. No. I'll t- I'll tell you I'll tell you what's on it. Puddle you, of mud. I think you. No, I don't like any of that stuff. Disturbed. Um, Days of the Week by Stone Temple Pilots. Special by Garbage. Molly by Sponge. Wrong Way. Sublime. Um, the difference. Oh, that's that's by a horrible song. The Wallflowers. Misery by Soul Asylum. Criminal by Fiona Apple. Uh, Sunday Morning by No Doubt. She's you electric by Oasis. You could probably share it somewhere, like just, on the Facebook page or on Twitter or something, I think. Possibly. I have to ask probably. my friend if it's cool with him. But yeah, I mean, this is great 90s music, and it's post-grunge. So uh, that's this is sort of my wheelhouse. So if, if you are interested. And the thing is, I know. I, I said this a lot. I acknowledge there's a lot of great music that I don't like. But everything I do like is good. That is, I'm certain of that. <laughs> There you go. Uh, I will. The one pushback I have for you is if you like the 90s era of, I guess, alternative. I mean, you can't just like Smashing Pumpkins. I, I mean, even them. if you have something against them. My least favorite band. Yes, you would think I would like them because they are exactly in the era and the type of music I like. But I cannot stand that guy's voice. So they just, no, they're a big no for me. I hate them. Chris is shaking. It just... <laughs> You're basic. <laughs> I'm used to people saying they don't like me because I because they hate my voice. So that's not look. That's not why I don't like you, <laughs> <laughs> Scott. If you did have to fire up one of those supposed tunes, uh, what would it be? Just I don't know. The first thing that comes to your head. Um, I like a lot. Well, not a lot. I, I don't know. Is it that like I, I'm not familiar enough with anybody's catalog to say I really like that person. It's like, what about 80% of his songs that you wouldn't like? Uh, like the big white stripes hits. I like the way those sound a lot. Um, I listen to a lot of Weird Al, to be honest, when I do listen, like on car trips or whatever. An absolute um, legend. Because that's just fun. I like when music is fun and, and some people take it so seriously. It's like, Oh, who? It, 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 it's it's <laughs> like they base life philosophies off it or something. Yeah. And it's like, all right, that's fine. That's for you. That's not for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, throw, throw in some subs today on the podcast. Speaking of the podcast, let's get back on track. Today, we're going to take a look at the latest MLB proposal that came out on Friday, which would basically do away with the American League National League for this year. And we would have the Grapefruit, and the Cactus League. We'll also recap our latest head-to-head points mock draft. Later on in the show, your email questions, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. But the latest proposal for what the MLB season would look like would include teams being split between Florida and Arizona in their spring training facilities. Uh, There would not be an American League or a National League. Instead, the Grapefruit League and the Cactus League, as I mentioned, um, yeah, no more American League East, at least for this season. You're now looking at the uh, the Grapefruit League North or the Cactus League Northeast. Um, and, you know, my biggest two takeaways from this would be 
you know, every team would have a DH. So that opens up the player pool more for fantasy baseball purposes. And, you know, for some of those log jams in the National League, like the Colorado Rockies and the Cincinnati Reds, I mean, this would certainly help things out. Speaking of the Colorado Rockies, that's my second takeaway is they would not have the advantage of Coors Field. While I do think hitting in the dry heat of Arizona would still be a helpful hitters environment. I don't think that it would be to the level that Coors Field is. And with that being said, um, I guess Herman Marquez and guys like John Gray would see a slight tick up, although I don't think it would be that great. So those were my two biggest takeaways here uh, were that the DH would be included for every team and that there would be no no Coors Field. Um, do you guys, what do you guys have to speak on in terms of those two things or if there's anything else you wanted to take away from this latest proposal? The Coors Field thing, we we approach Coors Field differently from any other park, any other hitter's park. It doesn't, like the physics change for the ball, the way the ball moves, and that's not just the way it carries off the bat, but the way it moves out of the pitcher's hand. So it's like pitchers have to be different there, or sometimes they make the mistake of being different and then they can't get back what made them effective on the road. So you've seen careers can completely tailspin from pitching in Colorado. I, I think it would be a great thing for Herman Marquez specifically because he's the one pitcher in their rotation who I feel like is is genuinely a good pitcher and just has that terrible disadvantage of pitching his home games in Coors Field. You don't feel that way about John Gray? Okay. Yeah, John Gray too. Well, I just Gray's interesting because he yeah. hasn't had bad he hasn't had big home road home road splits, but I do feel like getting out of Coors would would help anyone, and I feel like he's yeah. got the stuff to. Yeah, good. I just wonder if he's too far gone at this point. And and look, he's been he's been a decent pitcher in Coors Field. He's navigated as well as anybody, but he hasn't lived up to expectations. I think coming out of the minors and sometimes what the supporting stats have said for him. So I don't know. I'd, I'd have more confidence with Marquez, but great to some extent too. Uh, it's it's. The reaction that this plan got on Twitter, I think, was milder than the one Jeff Passan reported on a couple days earlier. I don't know if it was just fatigue, <laughs> like everybody got their takeout already and, and nobody had the energy to do it all over again. But the sense I got from within like the baseball beat was that this seemed like a more viable option, at least if nothing else. I mean, there would be a stadium for everybody right like that was one thing that didn't get brought up with the arizona plan is we'd be working with half as many stadiums roughly well, how are we going to fit in a schedule that way there would be um there would not be a stadium for everyone i think there are three or four teams that share stadiums in florida and about the same number in arizona that i don't think this is feasible having lived in florida my entire life I don't see how you're going to get a baseball stadium, a a baseball schedule played in the middle of summer in Florida with no roofed uh, stadiums that just because you're going to have to play some double headers. You're going to have to play, you know, the Cardinals and and Marlins share a stadium in Florida. So you're probably going to have to have days where the Cardinals and Marlins both play. I just don't think that's feasible. Well, the Marlins played in an open stadium, you know, right. And they average like, and they average like 20 or 30 rain delays per year or something. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, obviously there are going to be challenges and I don't think anybody's expecting a full schedule at this point, but. I think the, 
something's better than nothing. Yeah, I, look, I'm I'm hoping we get something, uh, and I'm hopeful we get something. The the biggest thing that I, I would point out is not just the effect of course field uh, not being there, but just this would lead to, especially in the games that are played in Arizona, would lead to a significant increase in offense for most of the league because you're talking about. Uh, the the Phoenix area where pretty much all the I believe all the stadiums in the Cactus League are located in the Phoenix area. Uh, you're talking about elevations of at least a thousand feet above sea level. You're talking about low humidity and most importantly, you know, average highs in the summer in the high 90s uh, to the triple digits. So it would be a significant increase in offensive environment. And so what we would have to figure out is what the relative changes are for players as a whole. If offense is easier to come by, uh, we're going to have to figure out which players benefit the most. You know, guys playing in Safeco are going to benefit playing ha- their, ha- all their games in, in Arizona and, and things like that. And, yeah. yeah, I mean, pitchers in Arizona, I w- would think, would get a significant downgrade relative to the ones pitching in Florida. But, you know, we... It would be difficult to do like a stadium by stadium analysis of that sort of thing, I think. But you, you just see the numbers in spring training from the the Cactus League. There are home runs are always inflated there. Uh, I, if nothing else, fly ball pitchers I'd be wary of. And there aren't that many like extreme fly ball pitchers that are especially high end, but there are a few. Just looking at a few teams that would be playing in the Cactus League in Arizona that could see an uptick in value if they were to play there. The the Oakland A's, obviously more of a, yep. a pitcher's ballpark there. Kansas City Royals, so someone like uh, Jorge Soler would see an uptick. You mentioned the Seattle Mariners, the Padres, my boy Manny Machado uh, would get an upgrade there as well. Uh, Adam, based on this, if it were to happen, give me a player who would benefit the most from the designated hitter being in the National League. Because as I mentioned, I mean, there would be so many players that would like the pool would open up for specifically, you know, a player that can play DH, but also, you know, again, those log jams with the Reds, the Colorado Rockies. I mean, who's a player that you think could possibly benefit the most if we did have DHs league wide this this season? How about Ryan Braun? How about the Brewers situation? You got Avi Garcia and Ryan Braun, and maybe they wouldn't have to split playing time. Um, So that's the first one that comes to mind. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I have a bunch of them written down. I think Garrett Hampson for for Scott, I know, a huge fan. I think if they had the DH, Daniel Murphy probably winds up at DH, and then they can move Ryan McMahon over to first. Yeah, and- but like, but but it, like, how much do we want them if they're not playing in cores? You know, I, you're right that they would at least get in the lineup, and maybe you're just getting hoping for steals or something. But I don't know how, what kind of a hitter Hampson would be if he didn't get to play in cores. And by the way, <laughs> well, I'll let you finish that thought, but let me come back to. When you're done with that, let me come back to Charlie Blackman, but but go for it. Yeah, I mean, for Hampson, I don't know that, I don't know how much his value was elevated. I mean, he did play, you know, in the in the minor leagues. I believe he was in the PCL, so that that is a positive hitter's environment as well. But, I mean, he's someone who relies more on speed than anything else, so I'm not sure that he would be affected all that much. I think just the ability to play every day is something that would be positive for him that, that we're maybe not, so definitively expecting, or at least I'm not yeah. this upcoming season. Uh, Will Myers was one for me who would see a very big uptick and, you know, they can get Franchi Cordero in the outfield uh, with Trent Grisham and you don't have to worry because 
look, if Will Myers had an opportunity to play DH every day, helps keep him healthy. And I mean, he's a couple of seasons removed from a 30-20 season. So especially from a Roto perspective, uh, that would be huge for Will Myers. Uh, Adam, you're Charlie Blackman or, or Scott, what do you got? Well, I was kind of of the opinion that Will Myers looked like he was in line for a close to a full-time role anyway, though obviously having more hitter spots there with with Trent Gresham playing center and Franchi Cordero out. But uh, but there is some love for Franchi there. Uh, with regards to Colorado, uh, is that is that what you wanted to is that what you wanted to talk about? Yeah, next, I Ryan? mean, it, like I'd I'd be wary of somebody who I'd be more wary of somebody who wasn't we weren't really that competent in the hitting profile. Like I'm thinking of Ryan McMahon specifically. For sure. Well, um, he was been horrible at, away from Coors, but yeah. But Coors, just... Like I feel like Coors field is the only thing sustaining him as an ex- enticing fantasy option at this point when Hampson, I mean, he's like, he was a big prospect heading into last year and you know, when prospect evaluations, you're not really factoring in Coors field. It's, he had a bad year, but it, it was too early to really write him off. I think I think with Hampson and really with everyone on on the Rockies, what, what what you pretty much have to do is just probably just lop off like rough estimate, probably fifteen points of batting average, maybe more, is probably the way to do it. So if you were hoping that Garrett Hampson would hit two ninety, maybe you hope he hits two seventy five now. I, I think that's the the best way to look at it. But I also do want to point out. The average run scored per game uh, per team in the Cactus League this year. You guys ready for this? Sure. 5.9 runs per game. It's a lot of runs. I don't know what to compare that to. What was the number for the major leagues last year? I would guess it was like 4.5, maybe a little higher. That's a huge difference then. Probably a little higher, yeah. Yeah. I did want to give some numbers, though. Nolan Arenado, his last five years, his road OPS has been only one like really bad year, 772 in 2018. Usually it's around 8, 830 to 880. So uh, let's say he had 866 OPS. That was his road OPS last season. That would have been 41st among qualified hitters, just qualified hitters. So Arenado on the road, 866 OPS, 41st among qualified hitters. 886 yeah. was his best OPS in his last five seasons on the road. That would have been 33rd in between Max Muncie and Yuli Gurriel. Charlie Blackman has been terrible on the road. Four of his last five seasons, 784 or worse OPS. Like, if Charlie Blackman is, is you know, just a product of Coors Field, and it kind of seems like he has been four of the last five seasons, I don't even know how draftable he is. Like oh. he's gonna hit better than that because he'd be playing in Arizona, but yeah. everybody playing in Arizona would be hitting better than what they normally do. So, so we we talk all the time about how it's not as simple, particularly yeah, but, with the but Rockies this is hitters, really so bad with with applying. Franklin. Yeah, no, it's it stands to reason though because the the change in environment is so extreme that they're not just going to. No, but Scott, what I'm saying is, like, Arenado is not that much better of a hitter than Charlie Blackman over the last five years. Like, very, both have been amazing hitters. Arenado has had a really respectable road OPS. Blackman has been horrible. 
I understand, but Blackman is not going to be like, what is it, a 600 OPS no. guy if he was playing in no, a no, spring no. training like, Arizona facility? I mean, no, I, like I would seven, venture to say his, his spring numbers over that same stretch are probably pretty good. Yeah, I, I want to point out, uh, this is the comp that I think, at least in Arenado's case, is probably pretty relevant. Uh, the first five seasons of Matt Holliday's career, ages 24 through 28, he hit 319 with a 938 OPS with the Rockies. He was traded to Oakland in the following offseason. The next five seasons of his career, he played half a year in Oakland, the rest of it with St. Louis. He hit 304 with an 899 OPS. Yes, he was worse, but that also includes uh, four years in his 30s. So really, he was pretty much the same player. So that's one of the reasons why I'm less pessimistic about Rockies hitters away from cores because there is, as I've said a few yes, times yes. Uh, this offseason, the, the, the Coors Field hangover effect. Right, right. I Yes, so, I, I'm looking at Holiday away from Coors as an example because it'd be one thing if his home road splits were not extreme, but they were, they were pretty extreme, it seems. I'm looking at that right now. I haven't looked at this yet. So it's he, not possible for a Rockies hitter to move away. I mean, we just saw DJ LeMahieu do it last year. I mean, granted, it's a great ballpark to hit in in Yankee Stadium too, but I, it's not impossible. Look, no, would Charlie not. Blackman suffer? Yeah, he'd probably drop down from. I mean, last year was a 940 OPS. He's probably closer to like an 850 OPS player if all the games are pl- being played in Arizona. Well, that's and, and not that good. That's even a little optimistic. That's not it's, that good based on last year. His career OPS in spring training, which has been entirely for the Rockies, dating back to 2011, is 8.33. So about about where Frank's pinpointing it. Not that good. That, but you'd be surprised. See, okay, obviously, you know, hitting was really good last year. But you'd be surprised where 8.33 would have ranked. Like, it's not a top 50 hitter. I'll, I'll try to find exactly what it was. Um, but that wasn't that good. Plus, uh, in spring training... He's facing, he's facing horrible pitchers at times. Yep. So yeah, yeah, but he wasn't part of his spring training line. He was considered a horrible hitter himself too, right? So it's it's obviously an imperfect exercise, but I think just looking at his road splits for the past few years is All right, highly you, imperfect. If well. you project him to be an eight thirty OPS guy, that's Brett Gardner and Eduardo Escobar. So. That's 57th in baseball last year among qualified hitters. Adam, think of all your mock draft teams that would be useless oh, now. Oh, horrible. With but, Charlie Blackman. <laughs> but I smile because Scott t- took Charlie Blackman in the Roto Auction League, and he hated he hated himself for it for like the next two days, and I actually thought it was a good pick, but now it would be, <laughs> be a terrible pick. All right, let's move on uh, to the head-to-head points mock <laughs> draft that we did last week. Uh, before we do that real quick, just want to remind everyone that the – Fantasy Baseball Today is still live in the Sweet 16 of the podcast bracket. The winner will be decided this week. Uh, Today is the Sweet 16, tomorrow the Elite 8, so on and so forth. Uh, Nothing is possible without you, the great listeners. So so continue to help us out with your vote. Uh, The bracket is being done at Baseball Pods on Twitter. Yo, we, we're we the only wait, we're the only daily podcast for basically the entire year. We're the most dedicated podcast. True. Rotowire has been daily. Okay, but... Fake news. We're the only <laughs> daily podcast that I'm on, so... <laughs> but not daily. Uh, ah, we're the only... Damn it! Vote for someone else. No, vote for us. We are so dedicated. We're, like, all off-season long. Like, 
come on. Nobody's more dedicated than we are. And that I will stand by. <laughs> the only daily podcast that sometimes includes Adam Azer and decided to change their podcast host uh, right before the baseball season started. <laughs> so keep all of those things in mind. Uh, we did a head-to-head points mock draft last week. 12 teams, no, uh, normal head-to-head points, roster construction, one catcher, three outfielders, one utility bat, five starting pitchers, and two relief pitchers. Reminder, you can use SPARPs. Those are starting pitchers that have relief pitcher eligibility. Uh, and before we just kind of dive into some of the results, I just I wanted to ask you guys what your head-to-head points philosophy is uh, just with myself here on the podcast to kind of refresh everyone who's listening uh, and and to refresh myself, you know, how you guys attack head-to-head points leagues because I know, Scott, your dynasty league is a points league. My longest standing keeper league is a points league. We all play in points leagues. We all love points leagues, but people attack them differently. So, I mean, what's your general points league strategy? Do you always go after pitching early? Is there an emphasis on those sparps? Uh, are there... Uh, is there a specific profile that you look for in a hitter? Scott, why don't you get us started with what your uh, what your league strategy is for uh, head-to-head points leagues? So I think probably the main thing that would apply to everybody listening. Yeah. I don't know. This, it's been a while since I've talked about this. I'm not, I guess I'm not... Hmm. Okay, let me just get into it. So obviously in head-to-head points leagues we talk about how the lineup is differently constructed from like a head to, uh from like a roto league or even like a head-to-head categories league if you're thinking of the yahoo style league I, I think one of the biggest things the biggest difference for me in head-to-head points leagues is that i i do pay like position scarcity is a little more of a thing for me there like i'm more likely to draft a jt real muto because the there are fewer ways to gain advantage over your opponent since there are fewer lineup spots to fill there and you don't have to be as particular like you don't have to play the category scarcity game that you have to now in in roto and head-to-head categories leagues steals being so scarce obviously uh, batting average is something of a priority in the early rounds as well your options are wider in terms of what kind of hitter can fill those spots for you and so like that that kind of tips the scales back more toward the position scarcity element where where okay I want to not accept a lower standard of this a lower standard than this at this position and uh and to make sure you obviously uh obviously meet that standard but of course I mean starting pitchers like I'm going so heavily in starting pitchers that it doesn't really matter for me personally which format it is how heavily I go after starting pitchers but you can expect to see your competition go heavier after starting pitchers. There's more, there's more of a need to grab them early just because they're going to deplete quicker than they probably would in a categories league. Scott mentions that pitching goes earlier in this format, and it was evident in this draft that we did. Uh, there were five starting pitchers who went in round one. So let me reveal that to you. Uh, it was Mike Trout, Christian Yelich, Cody Bellinger, Garrett Cole at pick four, Ronald Acuna and Mookie Betts. Those were the first six picks in this head-to-head points mock draft we did, 12 teams. Uh, And then the second half of the first round, of course, Scott, myself, and Adam were all in a row, seven, eight, and nine, and Chris was at 12. It was Alex Bregman. I took Jacob deGrom at eight. Adam took Max Scherzer, Walker Bueller to 10, and Nolan Arenado to 11. And 
Chris Towers took Justin Verlander at 12. So we had five starting pitchers go in the first round. We had 19 starting pitchers go in the first four rounds. Chris, why do you think that pitching gets pushed up the board more so in a head-to-head points league? Because I guarantee you, if we did a, you know, we, we have done this and should have looked it up, but a 12-team Roto League, you will not see five pitchers go in the first round, 19 starting pitchers go in the first four rounds. You just won't see that. I think a big part of it is the the fantasy point numbers that you get from your uh, top-end starting pitchers. You know, last year it was DeGrom, Verlander, and Cole specifically. Uh, they can outpace what the number one hitters give you. Uh, and I don't think it's quite as simple as that. I think part of it is also you only have five pitcher spots to fill. So the value of those high-end pitchers they make up a larger percentage of your team's total. And so the more of those guys you can get, the, the more of an edge you'll, you'll be able to have. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Well, the other thing is the Roto Leagues have a lot more hitter spots. And sure. they have nine pitcher spots instead of seven, which are in points leagues. Again, you can play a points league with as many roster spots as you want, but the standard CBS is only one catcher, only three outfielders, no middle infield, no corner infield, whereas a standard roto has two catchers, five outfielders, middle infield, corner, just a lot more hitter spots and nine pitcher spots instead of seven. So there's just not as much of a rush for the pitching. And with the roto leagues, you have to worry about categories. You don't have to like you have to think about when to take the steals guys. You don't have to do that in points leagues. Um, and there's just a lot of situations in a points league where you're in a twelve team league. Well, the twelfth to the 15th option at the position is perfectly fine and they're basically the same and you waited and waited to take your shortstop and you're just going to wait till like your last pick to do it because nobody's taking a backup. Um, there's stuff like that. So that's why push uh, pitching is, is more important and gets pushed up in points leagues uh, among many, you know, Chris. Yeah. Too. I feel, I think just because of, and and it you know would it would be interesting to compare head to head points versus head to head roto because this is kind of a or head to head categories because this is kind of a head to head specific observation but there it's more noticeable when a pitcher wrecks you in a in a head to head points league because you have that negative number by his name or maybe it's a low number like a zero or a one or whatever he just didn't do his job for that week and you're stuck with a loss because of it so you you like the consistency better in a head-to-head, and you know you can count on that more from the high-end pitchers. But w- what's interesting about that is there are there are ways to cheat more on the pitching end in head-to-head points leagues. Since it's it's volume that's rewarded, it's not ratios, you can load up on two-star pitchers off the waiver wire and it'd be a more viable strategy in this format. Or there are... The non-strikeout guys who don't get much play in in categories leagues, but are actually pretty good, like Marcus Stroman and Dallas Keuchel, like they are, they become pretty useful again in this format. Uh, Brad Keller, maybe to a degree. So, I don't know that that's, I don't know that pitching should necessarily be emphasized in this format over Roto. It just traditionally is. Like, I feel like the high end, the, the disparity between the high end guy and the low end guy might actually be bigger in, in Roto in a traditional five by five category league. Frank, a couple things. You also get points for innings in points leagues. You don't get, 
usually don't get that in Roto. And the guys that are taken early are the ones that have the chance to give you 200 innings for the most part. Uh, and then you want the comparison. I only counted 18 starting pitchers in the first four rounds of the last head-to-head categories mock draft we did, and only two in round one. So how eight? I got 18. How many did you say went in the this in this draft? 19 in the first four rounds. Okay, so and I have 18 first, and only two in the first. So not that big of a difference. And this was a head-to-head categories league that had the same roster construction. Okay, catcher, three outfielders, no corner, middle infield. So same same number pretty much, but not as early. Only two uh, in the first round. To put in perspective, uh, how many how many players were, uh, you know, how, who scored what in in this format last year? This is something that Chris pointed out a little bit earlier. Uh, in 2019, you had two starting pitchers over 700 fantasy points. Um, there were no hitters that scored over 700 fantasy points last year. There were four starting pitchers over 600 points. There were 10 over 600 points among hitters for starting pitchers. There were only 15 starting pitchers over 500 fantasy points last year. There were 36 hitters who were over 500 fantasy points in 2019. So uh, to me, there's just, uh, there are less elite pitchers in this format. That's just what it comes down to when you break it down like that. I mean, there are more, uh, there's more parity among hitters where there's 36 different hitters who score over 500 fantasy points. And there was only 15 starting pitchers who met that threshold last year. And you can tra- stream two star pitchers, as Scott mentioned, but uh, you also, you know, while those guys are, I think they're just as likely to give you two good starts as they are to give you two bad starts. I mean, that's why they're two star pitchers, why they're on the waiver wires, because they're not owned. They're not great pitchers. So uh, I think that's why you see a little bit more of an emphasis on top tier pitchers in this format because there's just more parity among hitters as compared to uh, starting pitchers. Uh, we already read out the first round. Was there anything egregious that happened in the first round of this draft? Not really, right? It seemed pretty normal here. Yeah, I, somebody let Bueller. A few people let uh, Scott get Bregman at seven. Lucky Bueller bastard. ahead of Verlander is the only one that stands out to me. Yeah, and I, importantly, I mean, Verlander just gonna he's going to probably go deeper into – Every single, every start rather than Bueller, uh, he's going to give you probably more innings, assuming that he's healthy. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. Like Verlander should go ahead of Bueller in a points league. But outside of that, I don't think there's um, anything too crazy in the first round. The second round, we start to see, you know, a few curveballs here in this draft. Uh, Freddie Freeman to Chris, then Juan Soto, Francisco Lindor, Anthony Rendon to Adam. I took Jose Ramirez at pick 17. And Scott, you took Shane Bieber. At 18. So I wanted to ask you, I was debating Jose Ramirez or Bieber to pair with Jacob deGrom. I was going to double down on starting pitching. If I took Shane Bieber, who would you have taken? Would you have went with a hitter? Would you have pivoted to like a Jack Flaherty or a Steven Strasburg? If I took Bieber in round two, who would you have taken, Scott? I probably would have taken a different pitcher. Jack Flaherty is the most likely Clevenger. Yeah, I think Jack Flaherty's next to my ranking, so that's probably who I would have taken. Yeah, in a in a head-to-head points league, uh, knowing the demand for starting pitchers and noting, knowing my own distaste for uh, having a low-end pitching staff, yeah, I'd, I wouldn't go two rounds without taking a starting pitcher in, unless it was just like if, like if uh, I don't know if I. If I had a top five pick and let's say I took Mookie Betts in the first round and then Alex Bregman was still there in the second round, I'd probably have to take Alex Bregman at that point. But obviously that didn't happen here. Scott, I, I want to propose an impromptu, not really rankings debate. We're a little bit 
different here. I have Jose Ramirez higher in my points leagues rankings. In 2018, he was the top scoring hitter uh, in the points league format, and you have him down as as your 25th uh, player overall in head-to-head points leagues. Is he a little bit undervalued this year? Why do you have him? That puts him at the beginning of the third round. Is it just you're worried about you know the half seasons that he's put together recently? Because admittedly, it has been very scary. I mean, we're drafting Jose Ramirez not all the way back to where he was last year, but you know, a second round pick, and you know, there was still a lot that he did wrong last year. But I, I feel like he's undervalued for this format specifically. I don't mind him as a second round pick. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, he was. I think the consensus number three guy across all formats last year. So if, if, if you're completely convinced he's back, then it's a good value, but I'm mostly convinced he's back. I'm probably 90% convinced he's back, but like there's so many hitters in this range that you just can't go wrong with that. I'd rather not take the chance of that 10% chance Ramirez, uh, what he did the last month and a half last year was fluky and he's actually going to struggle again. I'd, I'd just rather not take that chance. I just don't want to mess up my early round picks to the extent I can avoid it. Even though obviously some of those are having to go to starting pitchers this year. Yeah. And that's why I don't mind taking uh, look starting pitch. I was debating taking Shane Bieber to pair with Jacob deGrom just to take pitchers early because I'll get into this a little bit later, but the third round um, Adam got J.D. Martinez and Bryce Harper went at pick 34. So, I mean, you can still get really, really elite level hitters in the third round of head-to-head points leagues. And that's why, again, I tend to lean towards um, starting pitchers. But I've never I seen J.D. Martinez go that. I couldn't believe I got J.D. Martinez where I got him 33rd overall. Harper, yeah. But J.D. Martinez, I felt like I just felt like I stole the draft in the third round. That was crazy that he went there. And it was really hard for me to pass on those guys. I'm talking about how great of a value they were, and I still passed because I took Mike Clevenger. You know, I picked 32. I felt like the same way you just described J.D. Martinez, that's exactly how I felt about Clevenger. But before we get there, I I just want to bring up the fact that Anthony Rizzo went in the second round of this draft. Am I missing something, or is is this something that normally happens? Because <laughs> Anthony Rizzo is, is a very good points league player, and I would argue he's a better points league player than he is a roto player. I think he's kind of boring in roto. But for points leagues last year, he averaged 3.5 fantasy points per game. That was tied for eighth among first basemen. He's it, fine, but second-round pick, I mean, it seems very early. It was a It was a down year for him but it's been a couple years in a row now that he's fallen short of 30 home runs. So I don't know that we can just assume he's going to bounce back and be top three at the position again. I think it's just particularly with people who aren't used to playing in head to head points who only play in it occasionally, you'll find people who don't account enough for the scoring differences. And then you'll find people who overcompensate. And I think this was probably an overcompensation pick. Yeah, he's a fourth-round pick at, at best, I think. Yeah, a point I think we're in agreement there. Uh, there were seven hitters that went in round three. Uh, Rafael Devers, pick 26. Trevor Story, pick 27. Starling Marte, 29. Hittel Marte, 30. Scott, you got Trey Turner at pick 31. Adam, you got J.D. Martinez at 33. Uh, and Bryce Harper at pick 34. I think this is the biggest case for why you can start pitcher heavy in a points league because again you can get 
these type hitters in the third round. So, uh, Chris, I mean, does does that further kind of push your your mantra of mantra of taking starting pitchers early in this format because you can get you know Devers, Story, Trey Turner, J.D. Martinez, Bryce Harper in the third round? Because to me, it, it, those just seem like great values. They are great values, but I don't want to oversell the point. Like you look at Patrick Corbin, he had 545 fantasy points last season. He was the second to last pick uh, in round three. You compare him to like Jack Flaherty, he actually outscored Jack Flaherty last season. So, you know, Jack Flaherty goes a full round ahead of him. I think you see once you get past kind of that first really super elite tier of pitchers, I think it's a real kind of jumble. After that, you know, I, I don't know if there's that big of a difference in in this format between what I expect from Shane Bieber this year and what I expect from a Patrick Corbin, a, a Luis Castillo and Aaron Nola. Um, you know, a lot of it's going to come down to in this format staying healthy. But in terms of the quality of the pitcher, I think they're they're all pretty similar. So I I my goal in a head to head points and it really it's true in a roto if I'm picking the second half of the first round. I want to get one of those aces, and I'm not sure how much I want to spend my second round pick, let's say, on the next tier of starting pitcher. You know, I did kind of experiment with this team, and I took pitchers with my three of my first four picks, and I kind of hate my team. So I'm not sure, uh, you know, obviously it comes down to the actual players that you pick as well, but in looking at my lineup, it just, I don't know, I don't. I I don't know. It's it's I don't hate it, but it's not it's not necessarily something that I would do again, you know, uh, if given the chance. I've had success in this format, you know, kind of just living in the mid tier uh, in terms of hitters. And that's what I did here. I took starting pitchers with three of my first four picks as well, Chris. And I have absolutely no problem with the way uh, the team turned out. My best hitter is Jose Ramirez. I, I'm buying the bounce back there. Um, Scott, you took Trey Turner at, at pick 31. This is something we spoke about a little bit in the, the dynasty startup mock draft that we did because he lasted it into the third round. That was a points league format as well. And again, I mean, you know, how, how easy was it for you to take Trey Turner there? Or were you debating someone else uh, in that spot? Oh. Because I took Clevenger the very next pick. And to me, I, I really wanted to take Harper or Martinez, but I couldn't pass on Mike Clevenger who averaged the third most fantasy points per game among starting pitchers last season. And he went after guys like Granke, uh, Strasburg, Kershaw. Those pitchers are fine. I, I think Mike Clevenger's is better than all of them. It, what's funny is you, that in that other draft you referred to, the head-to-head -head points dynasty startup, where Trey Turner went in the third round, I had the pick directly before Trey Turner went, I think, to Chris, actually. And I took Mike Clevenger because I didn't have a pitcher yet. So it's it's funny that you ended up, you're, you're saying you would have had to go Mike Clevenger there instead of Trey Turner if Trey Turner had made it to you. That seemed to be what you're suggesting. Yeah, but, but yeah, this is it's the same scenario we talked about before. Like I I don't know why Trey Turner tends to last this long. And again, I think it's kind of an over overcompensation thing, uh, gauging his relative value in points from like a a roto perspective. He was the second best shortstop in head-to-head -head points per game last year behind Bregman. I mean, Bregman was a distant number one. And then Xander Bogarts was third, Fernando Tatis fourth. Trey Turner was second, 3.82 points per game. Definitely a 
studly rate there. So yeah, that was I was crossing my fingers as I saw he was still on the draft board and the picks were coming off the board. I was crossing my fingers he'd make it to me. So that was an automatic pick once I had it. However, I already had Shane Bieber in my pocket. If I didn't, I might be stressing about starting pitcher at that point and would have to pass him up, which would be sad. But that's, again, part of the reason why um, you take the high-end pitcher when it makes sense to do so. Would you have taken J.D. Martinez or Trey Turner? Well, you did take Trey Turner. Why did you take him over J.D. Martinez? I think he's better. I Not by much. I mean, I guess it's close. Uh, last year, by com- for comparison, J.D. Martinez was 3.66 head-to-head points per game, and Trey Turner, as I mentioned, was... 3.82. So he was better per game last year, but of course there's an injury history there. Well, not just I that. do I mean, think Mart- there's a good chance JD Martinez underperformed a little last yeah, year. Yeah, Martinez was much better than Trey Turner the two years before that. You know, like every uh-huh. time I argue with, about Trey Turner, it's always like, well, last year he did this. But well, no, I think in 2017 it's probably closer than you're remembering. But in 2018, definitely. No, JD 2017 when he got traded Turner. to the Diamondbacks. Was that the year he got traded to the Diamondbacks? Yeah, Trey Turner was 3.92 in 2017, which was even higher than last year. And J.D. Martinez was 4.07. So Martinez was better, but it was still, you know, within the range of, Both within were. the same range there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, I, I won't. I I think we've had enough of. Trey Turner debates. That's cool. <laughs> Plus, you know, especially in a three outfielder league, I hate filling that outfield too early. So I'd, I'd be more likely to lean any out, any infielder when, when I can justify it, you know? I don't do that, though, with my first outfielder. Like, I'll take what? my first outfielder whenever. After that, I don't sure. want to take my second or third too early, but... And and it's I actually ended up with a pretty crappy outfielder here, so maybe that would have been <laughs> <laughs> my first outfielder is David Dahl, which is you know he could end up being fine, obviously, but uh, it's considered Not in Arizona. Definitely, definitely considered a weak first outfielder. Yeah, yeah. J D Martinez does have an injury history as well, so I don't I don't think we should completely overlook that. Uh, Adam, you had the ninth pick. Your first four picks were Max Scherzer. Then you came back and took Anthony Rendon. You took J.D. Martinez in the third, and you took Charlie Morton in the fourth. Is this a typical start for you in a points league, and and how do you like the way uh, that your team turned out here? I would say that I typically am going with two hitters and two pitchers with my first four picks, and then I'll kind of go from there. And I will certainly have three pitchers in my first maybe five, maybe six, definitely seven picks. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if I have four pitchers in my first seven picks. But if we're just going to start, you know, you kind of go with, maybe you say I'm going to do this with my first four picks and then play it out after that. Um, Yeah, two and two is a safe way to go. You don't have to do that, but it's a safe way to go. I think it'll set you up to like your team and hopefully love your team if you make the right picks later. I do like the way my team played out. Um, I think that in points leagues with hitter spots, Kind of what Scott said, you know, position scarcity is is sort of important at catcher. Like, it almost makes sense. It it doesn't make sense to have a lot of mid-tier players in points leagues. You know, and that's why I don't love having a guy like Paul Goldschmidt. Because I don't think he has elite potential anymore. Um, First base does get kind of thin. But maybe I just wait that out and I take Edwin Encarnacion as my first baseman. He ended up being my utility, oddly enough. But, like... 
I have Will Smith. I waited a really long time to get him. I have Max Muncy. He's pretty damn good at second base. I have Rendon. He's obviously elite. I have Carlos Correa, and I took him as a mid-tier guy, but I I know that when he's healthy, he can be elite. Well, the thing is, when you say mid-tier, are you talk like, is Max Muncy a mid-tier player? Because he's pretty, you know, he's outside the top five and probably everybody's second well, base ranking. Obviously, you can't, you can't pull this off at every position. Um, yeah. There's something different to me about Muncy and Goldschmidt. You like well, part of the argument, part of the argument I've made for taking starting pitchers earlier this year is that the mid-tier players are actually, it, it, at least last year, they basically performed like the high-end players. Mm-hmm. You have maybe a couple dozen hitters that are just so high-end nobody can touch them. But you know, when you get into like the third round, the fourth round, the kind of hitters that tend to go there. They're not that different from like the seventh and eighth round guys. Yeah, yeah, but but you're talking about Muncy perform like a high end guy, right? Yeah, but Goldschmidt didn't. He, Goldschmidt didn't. That's yeah. why I, mean, I, don't, had, I don't love him. It was one of base. the worst seasons of his career. If you're if he Goldschmidt, I feel like is being ranked with at least a partial bounce back in mind. Not that his final numbers were terrible. He had more than thirty home runs, but it was. Uh, particularly in this format, it was definitely disappointing. He did not really perform. Uh, it's a little like Manny Machado. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it is a little. Yeah, so... But M- Machado's younger, they're, they're, but in terms of where he's being ranked relative to what he did last year, he's being ranked as if he will perform better, whereas right. a lot of guys are being drafted sure. as if they will perform worse. Sure, so, final... Goldschmidt, who had 34 home Sorry. runs, 97 runs, 97 RBI... Like those totals seem great. He was two point nine eight head to head points per game last year, which was less than Yandy Diaz, which was less than Danny Santana, who we think of as a categories league specialist. Uh certainly less than Muncie. That was like half a point worse per game than Muncie. So yeah, he was he's gotta be better than that to live up to his ADP. All right, Frank, just my final thoughts on my roster here. Uh I wanna have some mid and late round guys with upside. I consider Carlos Correa to be one of them. I think he has a lead upside. I also took Kyle Tucker, um, and I took a late-round flyer on Nomar Mazzara and Justin Upton. But, you know, Correa and Tucker, those Astros guys, I feel like mid-round, late-round pick with upside. And then, you know, I want to get Scott's – I want to get four of Scott's top 35. I don't think I did that in my – I didn't – I don't know if I did. Is Ryu in there, Scott? He is. Okay. He is. He's one of the fringier ones. He's right on the fringes there, but he is technically one of the 35. You know what? I didn't do it. Okay, well, hold on, hold on. I I didn't get my 35. Well, my 35. I took Carrasco and Maeda as my relievers. When I do that, I don't necessarily feel like I have to do four of the top 35. because Carrasco is one of them. Right. So I actually have five of them, but in my (laughs) rotation, I I have just four because Carrasco is a reliever. Maeda is a reliever. You know... When you do that, you've obviously invested earlier picks at relief pitcher. You don't want to completely forsake your hitting. So you can be a little bit weaker in the rotation if you go out and get something like Carrasco and Maeda or Lazardo and Carrasco, something like that. You make the investment in your Sparps, I think you can be a little bit weaker at, at starting pitcher. Because you could always move one of them into your rotation, pick up a closer yeah. on waivers. Yeah, that's, that's something we don't talk about with the Sparps very often, but like... A number of closers who we expect to have the job at the start of the season this year just went undrafted here because there's so many sparps. And that tends to happen. There tends to be closers on the waiver wire in this format. And if 
you're starting if somebody if you if you wind up with this hole and you're starting rotation unexpectedly, it's very likely to happen. You could just move that spark to the rotation and pick up a closer and and it'll be fine. That's that's like a better option than probably yeah. a waiver wire yeah. starting pitcher. You're right. Uh, so that's that's something else they provide you with is that flexibility. Yeah, I also wound up with four of Scott's top 35 starting pitchers. I have Degrom. I took Clevenger in the third, Luis Castillo in the fourth, and then I took Zach Gallen. I believe it was in the eighth round. So I w- I've been subscribing to this theory before. I even knew it was a theory. So there you go. I guess it, it's meant to be. Um, but uh, just to piggyback off your point, I think you kind of like you shot down the possibility of targeting mid-round players. Adam, you say that you you don't really want too many mid-tier players, but at the same time, you made the case for it because you mentioned Carlos Correa, and that's why I like to, you know, outside of Jose Ramirez, who I still consider an elite top-end hitter in this format, uh, I wound up with uh, the rest of my hitters are all what I would say are, are mid-tier guys, but I all think that they have a decent level of upside. Like I think LeMahieu uh, is being a little bit undervalued uh, based on what he did last year, Matt Olson, I think, has upside. Manny Machado, I've mentioned it on the podcast. I, I think the bounce back is there for him. I'm in. Uh, the other guys don't agree. But Eloy Jimenez, I think, oh, has upside. Marcelo Zuna, uh, Eddie Rosario, those are all guys that I do think have upside and are, are mid-tier players. So We don't agree on Matt Olson? No, no, we do. I, I, I meant for Manny Machado. Oh, okay. Sorry. I, I heard the wrong name. Yeah, yeah. sorry. So I, I do oh. like targeting that mid-tier for for hitters, for some of the reasons you guys mentioned, I, I don't think that they're all too dissimilar from I us, think like it, third, fourth round hitters. I think it just comes down to you don't want to target mid, you want to target mid round hitters, mid tier hitters, however you want to define it, with upside. Yeah. Exactly. Right? You don't necessarily want to target, especially in this format, a guy whose like upside is a pretty good player. So, yeah, and, and I, I think and, this is the year for it. Like there are, I, I think historically Adam is right that you don't want to settle for mid-tier players because there are so few advantages to gain over your opponent. You want as many high-tier guys as you can get, but because the middle tier is functionally the high tier right now in the hitter in the hitter pool, I think this is this if there was ever a year to go weaker at hitter, this is it. This is what I've been saying all along. All right, you can find the rest of the results over at cbssports.com. Again, that was our 12-team head-to-head points mock draft that we did last week. You can find those results at CBS Sports. A few questions here to wrap up the show. Fantasy Baseball at cbsi.com. This one comes from Zach. This question is specifically for you, Scott. Uh, He's a huge fan. I'm drafting in Dynasty in a Dynasty startup, my first baseball one, and I had a question about how aggressive to go after pitching. Obviously, in redraft, we are going bananas for it. But most of the rankings I've seen for Dynasty are very hitter heavy early in the draft. It's a 10 team league. Would you go Bueller, Flaherty or Bieber in the early second? How many of your first six or seven picks would you use on a starting pitcher? So I was part of a dynasty sim league startup, 24 teams. I went with a starting pitcher for my first eight picks and was being roundly criticized for it. Um, and and look, it's it, it's different a sim league. Pitchers have more value there over a traditional fantasy league. Certainly a five by five league. I don't know. Does he specify format here? Whether it's points or or no. categories? Just ten team league. So, 
I don't think I have a roto league. I don't think I have a dynasty league that is purely five by five. And maybe my thinking would change there. But I I play in some that are points leagues. I play in some that are sim leagues, and all of them are built around pitching right now, and they're all doing very well. It's riskier, and traditionally, yeah, you build a team around hitting because it's safer, because it's more predictable, but. Pitching is just more valuable right now. It's harder to find. It's it's you. It's the place to get an advantage over your opposition. So I'm willing to take the risk that goes with that to have a dominant pitching staff while everybody else is, you know, <laughs> struggling there. Ten teams. I, I mean, I you got to be more careful there because those high end starting pitchers are going to last longer, and you don't you don't want to pass up somebody who's but it could be a franchise player for you as a hitter. And there are a lot of them available in the first couple rounds. But I think after those top 25 or so hitters are gone, yeah, you can play. You can go pretty heavily after starting pitching. I would just point to the trouble we all had filling out our pitching staff in the All-2020s team as a counterpoint. I think we all felt much, much stronger about who the best hitters for the next decade would be. And obviously for a dynasty league, you're not drafting for the next decade. but the young, the old, the very good pitchers right now are old. The very young pitchers are, or the very young pitchers are definitely unproven, and the young-ish pitchers aren't really that young. There's a lot of guys in the 25 to 27 range who have maybe one year under their belt, like a Shane Bieber or, or a Jack Flaherty. Um, so, I I tend to go away from pitching even more in dynasty. Personally, this next one is from Chai Cub Chris. To your Franken Beans, White Chocolate, and Towers of Babel, Adam doesn't get a nickname since he's leaving. Did you know that you were leaving, Adam? Not leaving. <laughs> <laughs> I am, actually, I am well, going to be leaving. This week he is. I'm taking yeah. the rest of the week off. But other every than that, time no. you say you're not leaving and you're not going anywhere, you're like <laughs> leave for the next five episodes. <laughs> Sorry. It's so true. Here. You're not doing a good. Uh, you're not doing a great job here of uh, disproving that theory, Adam. But uh, Chai Cub Chris, he's in a ten-team six-by-six season-long roto with quality starts added as a sixth pitching category. Does it make sense to punt saves and focus on hitting and starting pitching since a starting pitcher can contribute in five of six categories? We do have a max innings pitch limit. Does it even make sense to punt a category in this type of format? Uh, P.S. Beefaroni is the best Chef Boyardee has to offer. Adam, you should give it a try. They're all the same. Come on. The pasta is just a different shape. The meat's in a different location. I think... Get real. It <laughs> makes... The more categories you have, the more sense it makes to punt a single category because the harder it's going to be to compete in every single category. So in this one, it... it it does depend on what the max inning pitch limit is, but assuming it's not too low, yeah, I think stacking your starting lineup with pitchers with starting pitchers and punting relievers makes a ton of sense in this format. Yeah, I'm at least punting it on draft day. You know, you can see what kind yeah. of players you can pick up throughout the season, so you don't have to necessarily take a zero in saves. But absolutely agree on draft day, punt it up. Uh, this last email that we're going to do for today, it's a little bit of a surprise, probably for uh, for Scott White more than anybody. Hey, guys, 
I'm sure you're aware that MLB players are representing their teams and are playing against each other in the MLB The Show tournaments and streaming them live on different platforms. Last night, I was watching Ty Buttry finish up his match, and afterwards, he answered some questions from some people watching. In honor of Scott, I immediately jumped in and asked if he prefers his waffles syrupy or buttery, and he answered me. He said he likes them soggy but not burned. I don't think he got it, but I still found it hilarious, especially after reading my question out loud in a Michael Caine voice as I typed it. <laughs> Dude, this was awesome. He sent me the video of Ty Buttry answering these questions, and you can see on the video, it's like two hours and five minutes in. I didn't watch the whole thing. Um, you can see on the video the questions scrolling in on the right, and there's the, do you like your waffles, buttery, or syrupy, or buttery? And I think somebody told him to read the question or read it to him, and they did not include the buttery part. They just said, do you like your waffles syrupy? And then he answered. But, like, the whole joke is the buttery. Aww. And it was, it was such a great effort by our that listener. That is great. Yeah. It's, it's going meta now. Yeah. I haven't yeah. done that in a while. Well, don't, don't, don't wait too long, Scott. The people are demanding it. <laughs> But don't do it now because, you know, do it earlier in the show. <laughs> don't do it this week because I want to be on I when know. you do it. I don't have anything prepared. That's that's the difficult part. You have to have something prepared. I can't go on for a minute like that. Just top of mind. Are you crazy? Uh, it seems like you can. You do pretty well. Uh, I haven't yet. Uh, I did have waffles for breakfast today. They were covered in syrup. Uh, and waffles are still better than pancakes. So I'll just throw that out there to end the show host, uh, host is the last word now you know it's something i have to adjust to so. uh, adam will not be here for the rest of the week but i assume he'll be back at some point uh we hope for adam scott and chris i am frank this was fantasy baseball today thank you all for listening we will see you again tomorrow